Hey, man, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Good to see you, man. Long time. Yeah, dude, I'm on holiday, so I got a unshaven face and I woke up late. So here I am. Sweet Has deal. It. How good is holidays? How good is holidays? How long do you have free? You said two weeks or three weeks? Uh, I had three weeks. So one week is the Buddhist, well, Songkran. I don't know if it's a Buddhist holiday, but it's definitely a Thai holiday, but it's the water festival um, going on for the last basically four or five days. So we had that week off and then we have two more weeks starting, you know, starting, well, Monday or now or whatever. So, yeah. so awesome. three weeks total for me. So pretty lucky. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. And what are you going to do over the three weeks? What's your, what's your goals, objectives? Uh, well, you know, just, well, I'm still plugging away at university, so I'm doing that, but I have a lot of free time because, uh, my wife and son are up in the countryside. So I've just been at the house kind of like cleaning and throwing stuff away. Um, but I definitely want to do a little bit of meditation. I've thought about, um, doing a, you know, practicing a little bit of meditation over these two weeks, um, exercising and hopefully writing something new for my own accord, like, you know, not sure what at the moment, but probably a couple poems or something. Well, you're an English teacher, so I'm sure something will come to you. Yeah, hopefully. So how about you? You still working? Or are you on a holiday? Yeah, we just came back from a week break. Basically, we had 10 days off and then we're, uh, we're in the gauntlet for 10 weeks running. And then we're, we're on our summer break, which goes from like late June to uh, the beginning of August or the first week of August. So we're in the last, you know, in the home straight here. But yeah, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. So we're back in, back into it. Um, but I'm wondering as well, like, just to just to uh, keep asking you questions, the meditation. What's your objective with meditation? Because this is something I've thought a lot about. What do you? What's your objective with meditation? What do you hope to achieve with that? Enlightenment. <laughs> nothing short of nothing uh, short. no um uh well it's it's not a long story but basically i'll just sum it up i'll just say quieting the mind um putting the body and mind at rest um just giving it a break you know those gears are always grinding and ch churning in my head all the time and sometimes they're useless thoughts and so i just you know, um, thought I'd try give meditation a, a try again. I had a really good experience. I think I told you about it when I was younger, like in my 20s, where I really feel like I successfully meditated and like got out of myself and had heightened awareness. And oh, man, it was just a wonderful experience. And I thought to myself way back then that I would do make this a regular practice. But you know, as life goes, uh, you get sidetracked and you forget about the most important things sometimes. And so I haven't done it for like 20 years. Like I've tried, I've meditated, but not like successfully, not like quieting the mind completely and heightening the sentence senses. And, uh, you know, so just that, just, a, just discipline, you know, just discipline. I, I took a, you know, 40 days off eating meat. I did the Lent, the Catholic Lent. I just thought I'd try it again. I tried it last year. Didn't make it very far. Made it, I, I think I almost made it 20 days. But this year I made it all 40 days, but I did have two. I actually made it like 42 days, but I had three, well, failed days where I just said, I can't do this. I'm a carnivore. And I just ate, I broke down, ate some meat. 
but I'm still happy about that. You know, it's still like an over a 93, 92% success rate. Um, and next year I hope to actually do it, but yeah, it's just that practicing a discipline. So meditation is going with that disciplining myself to take time out, to make changes, you know, to sacrifice, like I said, time to be able to, well, nurture and take care of my mind and, you know, yeah, because, you know, you know how it is living in a big city, your brain's always going, you feel like it never turns off, you know, and I don't think that's really healthy, uh, especially with technology. Oh, I feel like there's always something to do. And so that's my goal, man. Uh, quiet the mind, exercise, take care of the mind and body, um, and hopefully make this a, a, a more regular practice. Yeah, well, I tell you, man, I'm not really happy with my state of mind as well, and I, I feel like, I feel like my mind sometimes, well, a lot of the times, puts me in a state that I don't want to be in, right? And usually it's anxiety, and usually it's um, I, like constantly in a rush and feeling like I've like like a like I'm lacking time, and then I feel like that's not a good emotional mental state to be in. I think um, you want to be able to train yourself to be in a mental state of complete calmness, peace, and power, right? You're like completely like, you know, the Zen master, completely calm. But I think I've realized that there is no, the only way to get into that state in uh, for like long periods of time or before it becomes like your default state. It takes a, a lot of work to, to, to keep putting yourself there by, you know, like manually. Like saying, okay, I don't like this state. It doesn't work for me. All right, I want to be calm. How do I how do I reframe this moment? How do I breathe in and relax? How do I surrender? And that's really hard. Um, but I I really notice it now. Like uh, I can have weeks where I'm just just. It's not like an anxiety that it's hurting me or an anxiety that it's just like I'm losing my mind. But I it just this this constant gentle anxiety that makes you more frustrated, that makes you more rushed that um, makes you live in kind of this fear um, it takes you out of it but it takes you out of peace it takes you out of gratitude and it takes away your kind of calmness so bro i think meditation is got to be the biggest like most powerful tool to like recalibrate your mental state so you can be in a place of strength um, so i think it's huge man i want to really work on that because you know, I've noticed that as you get older, you know, you, you, we kind of like just have these repetitive states, like your brain just works like a, uh, like a, like a, a record player, you know, you wake up and then you're like, certain things trigger you and you just, you just adopt these thinking patterns. Like how much of our thoughts are just completely useless. So there's a lot to be said for that, man. If, if you, yeah, I'd be interested to see how you go when you do it and what your process is. And I think, yeah, it requires discipline. So how does, like, you know, I mean, I agree, I have the same experiences with you, the anxiety, the the fear, the this the stress, you know, of uh, the overactive mind for me, uh, especially. But how do you think, like, I mean, I know what it does for me. It, 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 it makes me more irritable, um, that anxiety, that stress. I feel like it interferes in my ability to communicate effectively uh, with family or others, you know, because I feel like that anxiousness, you know, I, it's like a, it's like a sense of haste, you know, and I feel like I, 
I don't have time to be fully present. And so I feel like it affects my performance in life in general, from relationships to my job. And I mean, it's not like it's throwing me down the stairs and making me a terrible person. But dude, there's got to be a better state of mind, you know, where I'm more at peace so I can hopefully bring peace and comfort to those around me. But I know when I'm anxious and I know when I'm stressed that I cannot do that effectively, at least not to my the way I would like to, you know what I mean? Um, I'd like to be one of the best listeners, but I don't think that's really possible without getting into that state of mind, controlling my state of mind, controlling my thoughts uh, for the better, you know? Um, so, but for you, what about for you? Like, how does that anxiety affect your day-to-day routine or interactions? Do you feel like it has a, a, a negative impact um, that maybe is visible to you or others? Yeah, for sure, man. And it's, I think it's a similar story. It takes you out of, um, it takes you out of that calmness state. Right. But I think what it does is that it takes you out of the present. Right. And it takes you out of that being in control. And then when you're like, when you're stressed or when you're anxious, instead of you becoming like a pillar of, of strength, it's just, you're just trying to just manage your own thoughts and emotions. And you know, like you said, you you know, you react differently. You're more impulsive, you know, you're more irritable, you know, you're more frustrated, you know, you're thinking more about what's in your head instead of just, you know, adopting that calmness. And, you know, if you're really present and you're really calm, like think about who you would be as a person and think about how you would react in different situations. If you, you know, you're in a tough situation, someone you love says something really, hurt, you know, really hurtful, and you know imagine what you how you would react in a state of anxiety and, and how how you would impulsively um you know inherently feel and then compare that with how you would react if you were calm and centered and and super at peace you know like obviously you have a lot more control uh, a lot more integrity a lot more dignity a lot more patience so yeah, I agree, man. I think it's not something that you notice that it's not like going to work drunk, you know, like you're not like intoxicated and you can't function and you're doing silly things. But I think what it does, it takes away that advantage of of being, you know, that it's kind of like an advantage. It's it's definitely a like a superpower that you you can do everything, but you can do it better. And like you said, you've just got more to give the people around you because while other people are sort of crumbling or they're, they're wrapped up in themselves, you can be a leader to say, hey, I got this. You know, just look at me. Let's let's do this together, right? And I think that's really powerful too. But bro, I think you just got to work at it. Like I've noticed, I've noticed when I, you know, fluctuate between those two states, um, you know, and I noticed that, I notice who I am when I'm in that calm state. And I notice who I am when I'm in that anxiety. And yeah, I'll take the the Steve that's in the calm state any day of the week. Yeah, man. I hear you. I feel the same, same way about that. Uh, so yeah, that's one of the goals, man. And uh, I'll let you know how that goes for sure. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. It might even be worth writing, like taking down a journal, like uh, a journal, you know, once, if once a week, even, or once every couple of days and, and just noting how your mental state is. Um, but yeah, man, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's great to have goals and things to work towards. Right. And I think those, those things that provide discipline are, are key. You know, they they make your mind. It's like you know, gym gym for the brain, right? And gym for the, yeah, just make you mentally stronger. And I think it's gonna it'll only help. But um, 
Yeah, man, you wanted to talk about this poem. I, I love this poem. So you, you want to talk about this poem? How do you feel about it? Oh, yeah. Well, I was just thinking like kind of like the meditation and uh, well, and this podcast, <laughs> you know, and and like meditation, this podcast and other goals that I have in life, which will include fitness and health, you know, and diet um, and just just many goals that I have in life. Uh, I feel have been uh, kind of put off, put on the back burner um, constantly. And I think this, I think this is, this happens to everyone, but I think it, it it becomes more challenging to break away from it when you have such a crystallized, uh, you know, space that you inhabit, like when you're in a family, right? So like, um, I love my family, of course, um, but how do I create balance so that I don't become overwhelmed and like, uh, angry that I'm not, you know, achieving other goals than just being a servant to my family. And I hope that doesn't sound selfish, but, but yeah, that was why I wanted to talk about this poem. Like it just popped into my head because we haven't podcasted for how long has it been since the last podcast? It's been about four months. Jesus, four months. Yeah. And you know, we were on fire before that, for the most part, we had some hiccups, but we, we were producing pretty regularly and that's kind of just what I was talking about with this poem by Langston Hughes, uh, Dream Deferred, I believe it's called. It's called um, Harlem. Is... Harlem. Oh, is it really Harlem? Yeah, oh, it's, called, it's called Harlem. And that's the first line of the sentence. But I think a lot of people, a lot of people recognize it by that. That's a lot of people remember it by, by that kind of like, you know, second title. Yeah, it is like a second title because I, I I looked for it on the internet and, and it showed up. It said Dream Deferred by Langston Hughes. Um, but yes, you're right. Um, I'm not looking at it yet, but Harlem, that sounds right, um, actually. But still, you know, the beauty of poetry is that it, you know, it's written in a moment with passion and emotion, and it has obviously some fuel behind it. There's a reason it's being written. And, it, and you know, what the author or poet intended isn't always what the reader takes out of it, right? Um, it can be applied to many different uh, scenarios, um, right? And this is what's so beautiful about poetry is it's like, this is why you got to read it over and over again, because it kind of fits your time. Like the time you're in uh, will be, it will, those experiences that time will affect the literature you're reading, right? Um, but you, poetry is so beautiful because it's abstract and it can be applied in many ways. Um, it's not just about the one thing. Like, let's say Animal Farm, for example. Yeah, we know that he's uh, it's inspired by the Rus Russian Revolution um, and other stuff like during that time. But is it time restricted? I don't think so. I think I think it has to do with what's happening right now in the United States, um, which is a whole other crazy topic. But um, that's pretty interesting stuff. But anyways, you know what I'm saying? Literature can be applied to many different scenarios, situations, and it, it's really in the eye of the reader, right? The eye in the mind of the, the, the reader of the text. So yeah, it's a great poem. <laughs> but yeah, just putting things off, right? Um, I don't know, what would you would you like to read the poem first, or just go into it, just kind of talk about? Um, well, what this means to us and maybe how it's a, like could be applied to our own lives right now. Yeah. I think we should read it, but I think as well, like it's good to know. Like, I agree with what you said in sense of like, you know, poetry is, is abstract. And I think the way that we project our reality on it uh, matters if you, because it has that, 
um, universalism and we can kind of connect with it naturally and we we see value in it because there's this kind of like universal there's universal truths in it i think that's that's what connects with us right and that's what it connects that's why they're timeless because they they kind of transcend through time and they transcend through the the political situation or whatever it is that the the author is trying to critique um but i was doing a bit of reading on it i think we just just give people a little bit of an idea like I, I, what i've got here is Hughes wrote harlem in 1951 more than a decade before the civil rights act of 1964. Um, he was also writing in the aftermath of the 1935 and the 1943 harlem riots and i'm reading this from litcharts.com thank you litcharts uh, and they're great to give poetry perspective right and then we're talking about a time in the united states where um, there was lots of segregation still lots of racism there was um basically it was basically a disaster right and it says that um in 1935 and 1943 the harlem riots were were, were triggered by segregation um pervasive unemployment and police brutality in the black community right so i think it's interesting to say okay well there's there's two ways to look at this poem the first way might be um the, a way to look at dreams deferred in the collective dreams deferred in the community and and how that impacts um socially like social social issues and the and the, and the, the community generally um or holistically and then the second way that i naturally gravitate towards it and this is what you know connects to your argument in the sense of you know that's why great literature is timeless it's it's kind of like the the dreams deferred in the sense of the individual and maybe individual in society or maybe just the individual right so i think that's kind of good to give us a little bit of context it was it was written um in the sense of you know in the context of huge social injustice and uh, you know lots of a black community that was suffering so i think that's good to know uh and then i think we should read the poem and just you know talk about how it connects to you or, or me right yeah yeah absolutely um yeah, I, I just want to say that, yeah, it is important to get the historical context and the actual meaning and try to maybe decipher what the poet him, herself, himself are actually intending for us to to experience, to, to think about. But it should never stop there. I think that this is where the playground of poetry comes in is, a, you know, it's a jungle gym. You can, you know, crawl all over that thing and see it how you want to, depending on the day, depending on your mood and experience. But yeah, man. Um, yeah, let's just give it a read, um, and then we'll just can talk about it a little bit. Do you want me to read it in my Australian accent? Uh, I don't really. <laughs> you think people can, about... people will understand if if I read it? Oh, of course, you've got a great accent, dude. <laughs> you sound perfect to me. Um, but if you want, I can read it because you did the little intro. Or yeah, you you um... read it. I think it's meant to be read with an American accent, anyway. Should I do try to do a Harlem Harlem accent? No, I could never. <laughs> no, uh, okay. So um, yeah, so Harlem by Langston Hughes. Um, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun, or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat, or crust over? Oops, and sugar over like a syrupy sweet. Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode 
that was not my best reading. I should have read it a few times before <laughs> to get my cadence down. Uh, slipped up a little bit there, but you get the point. You know, it's. What's I think that's happened. fine. I think that's fine. But I think we should read it again, like with a with a sad kind of tone, tone of voice. Make it sad. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun, or fester like a sore, and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? Whoa, that was way better. That was way better. Dude, I feel like I was trying to, I was like almost... Dude, the last time we read a poem, I think it was uh, Dylan Thomas. Yeah. And so, like, I feel like I was trying to almost invoke that tone. So I was like, oh, I should stop, but I didn't stop it. Whatever. This is that was good. That was way better. I think, like, when I was reading it, I was kind of slightly traumatized, you know, because I had, you know, visuals, you know, visual imagery (laughs) just struck me in the face with your turn. So that was, that was great. I think, (laughs) I don't know if there's a way to read poetry like properly, um, but I think that, you know, that's, there's ways to kind of, you know, there's, like you said, is it maybe emphasis or tone, but I think that was a good reading, man. I like it. You know, yeah. And, it, and poetry is music. You know, you could do it like a California Valley girl accent. And I think it would still be okay. Like if you're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sword and run? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's poetry, it's music. You can sing it how you want. You can speed it up, slow it down. You can. That was yeah, yeah but that, but that was pretty disgusting. That was terrible. I know. Was, <laughs> it was a great <laughs> accent, but if I if I heard that, I'd, I'd kind of want to throw up. But but <laughs> but but I do I do agree. I think that you know if if the tones kind of like if the emphasis is there and maybe the tone can complement the maybe the the speaker's um you know the the tone the the speaker's perspective or the speaker's attitude then that's great but i don't think it has to right um let me read it let me read it. i'll i'll give it a go and then we'll, we'll maybe compare this Perfect. so harlem by langston humes what happens to a dream deferred does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet. Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? Oh yeah, man. Yeah. That was the best one by far. dude. <laughs> I think all poetry should be read in Australian from now on. <laughs> I think, uh, I think there's something to be said about the Australian accent. Just quietly. No, it was excellent. I really liked how you, um, uh, accented the way you accented uh accentuated certain words and i think that's what was intended like like you accentuated stink and crust right um or you know and i that gives it more rhythm but i also think those are the stronger words right uh they're kind of the the sensory words right so like stink and then crust, you can feel the grittiness, right? The crystallization, the grittiness of the crust. Um, so I think you did it excellent, man. Thank you. I should have just 
I should have just read it with my Alaska accent. I think it would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's yeah, funny. It's, it's funny when you do like accentuate those words. It's kind of it's it's like a disgusting poem in a way. Like it's toxic. It feels gross. It has really you know really um, really kind of off. Um, you know, really. Um, I don't know what the word is. Just just kind of disgusting, putrid imagery, man. Like, does it mm-hmm. fester like a sore? That's gross. Does it stink like rotten meat? That um, that oral, what is that? Alpha tree imagery. Um, and then, you know, and then it's, it's, it's not a very positive poem, right? And when I read it, I kind of like, it makes me sad. I'm just like, we're thinking about what does it mean for me to have a dream that's never um that's that's never reached or never you're ha- wanting to experiencing something you never get to experience and then what happens inside of your soul or your spirit and you know like this kind of there's one thing to have disappointment but there's another thing to create you know toxicity and 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 um you know internal kind of like suffering so i think it's really intense man i think it's a really powerful poem and i think it's um you know there's really strong alpha tree image imagery visual imagery um but yeah it's it's intense like what do you think about the the concept of having like having a strong dream like having a strong desire and then never being able to 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 be able to pursue it right never be have never have the opportunity to pursue that dream and the opportunity to uh, um, experience what your what your heart is telling you you want to experience you know, I feel like. Sorry, was the question what? What do you? What is that? What? How do I think that would feel? Like yeah, like what do you think yeah. about that concept of of what would it be like? And and is it uh, is it something that's dangerous? Is it something that's really bad for us? You know, human spirit. Yeah, I do. I think it's. I think it's very sickening and toxic. We've used that word a couple times. Uh, quite toxic. Um, to, to to not be able to reach a dream. Right, a dream is a kind of a it's 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 a goal right we could say yeah it's primarily a strong passionate goal um and if you're like in this situation if you're prevented from reaching that goal um your dreams are a part of who you are your goals are a part of your spirit they're a part of your character your your identity and when you're not allowed to express that or to even strive towards it uh, I feel like it's an a sense of enslavement, imprisonment, right? And then you feel helpless. And I think that helplessness and that isolation um, and that restriction, just the mind is a powerful place. And I think that for me, like it would definitely put me in a state of negativity, which would fester, right? And then the festering of this painful this pain inside of me would eventually run outside of me, affecting those around me, right? Because, you know, you have a dream or a goal and you can't reach it yet, yeah, shatters you. And maybe immediately it doesn't affect your surroundings, but it does fester. And then it goes outside of you. And that's the running of the festering sore, right? Uh, coming out. And then it's visible to others. It's disgusting. Um, and yeah, man, I just think that it's, life it's spiritually uh dis- destructive 
Yeah, I think it's really important that you kind of define what it what does it mean to have a dream? What does that mean? And uh, yeah, I love your um, explanation definition. Is a dream is it's not just experiences that you crave, but it's also like it's kind of this future projection of who you are as an individual that wants to be realized. Fuck, that's so beautiful, right? That's maybe what a dream is, and I've never thought of it that way. Like you know, I, I dream to be this. I dream to have these experiences that will shape me and become, I'll become this different person. And I'm really glad you defined that because I think that's so important because then if you can't, if you haven't got the opportunity to chase that, then what is it's doing? Like you, you mentioned, it's kind of like it's oppressing your ability to either grow, experience, expand, and then you become much more confined, right? And you kind of become much more limited. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're like, like I, I use the words imprisoned and enslaved and uh, it's because the ch you're shackled, you know, from like your dream is in your mind. So it's always the carrot in front of you, you know, the, 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 the race, uh, what was it? Dogs or something? I don't know. What is that called? Where you dangle the carrot in front it's of the, 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 the horse, the horse. Well, it was the horse really? Okay. Yeah. Well, anyways, yeah, it's like that concept that it's it's there, it's with you, it's always in your mind because it's your dream, it's your goal, it's part of who you are, it's part of your spirit, your identity, like I said. But it's always out of reach, even though it's right there. You know, it's it's there to be taken, it's there to be had, but you're being prevented. Um, whether it's by you know, considering Harlem, this is a, a social um, issue, has to do with culture um, and uh, rights um, within a community, right? And that's devastating. But I think we can do this to ourselves. You know, um, I know a lot of people uh, who had a lot of talent, like, um, maybe I shouldn't get so deep, but I was just going to say it can be an individual. You can be the one. Uh, you can be the, the wall between you your choices can be the wall, the restrictor of you reaching your own dreams, right? Um, this goes a lot with drug addicts, um, you know, alcoholics. I know I have a lot of friends and um, even in my own personal life, I've missed great experiences um, because I preferred to go out partying in the new country uh, rather than doing checking all those boxes of the things I wanted to do. So I'm just saying that in this context of Harlem, you know, it's the individual, but it's also the community, right? The, the, the experience of possibly a specific group of people or any people, right? You know, the name of the poem is Harlem, but he's not talking. And, and I think there's a very important reason for that, of course. Um, well, because the Harlem Renaissance and all that. He's kind of the father of the Harlem Renaissance, right? Langston News. Yep. He's kind of like crowned that. Um, and so... <laughs> But I think like this can be applied to to any social group that's being oppressed, right? Uh, you know, just to give a modern day example, I don't know if you've been keeping up with what's happening in the United States with a lot of like social issues. Um, this is going to be a far stretch from Harlem, but it's exactly the same situation, right? And like with like, say, for example, transgender uh, uh, groups today, uh, you know, uh, they've they're experiencing well from their perspective. They're they're and it's probably true to an extent. They're experiencing a form of oppression, um, and so you see, there's been a lot of uprising. There's been a lot of like anger and exploding characters and personalities coming out and disrupting. And I'm sure that these people 
could and probably somewhere inside are decent people, but they're just so angry. They're fed up. They're sick. And that, that, that load became too heavy for them to bear. And now they're exploding. Right. And it's happening. Feels like almost on a daily, um, no, a daily, uh, cycle, like basically it's not every single day, but pretty much every day. I mean, I've been paying attention to the news because, the U.S. is like in decline big time for many reasons, but this happens to be one of those stories of just discontent with a group of people, you know? Yeah, and I think that's exactly what it means with it, with it exploding. Like, does it, you know, like you look at, I think there's six different ways what happens when a dream is deferred. And I think, like, what is that alliteration? What does deferred mean? And to me, that means, you know, delayed, put off, um, or... Or maybe it's it's completely restricted, right? And you haven't you can't access it for whatever reason. Um, but he says, does it dry up? So does it kind of like wither and die within you, like a raisin in the sun, or does it fester and become toxic and it kind of makes you like angry, or does it does it poison you, right? And does it make you bitter, or does it you know does it make you bitter? Uh, and then does it does it stink like rotten meat? You know, does it? Is it something that maybe you're ashamed of? I don't know. I don't know how you would interpret the stink like rotten meat, but maybe it's something that you're ashamed of or something that maybe people label you um, because you, you could have been something and you're not because of whatever reason. So it well, it's an unbearable smell, right? It's an unbearable smell that's often accompanied with this grotesque imagery of maggots, right? Uh, covering the meat, like, you know, all rotten meat. Uh, well, you know, it smells putrid but when it gets to that state that's when the maggots arrive always right sure. so if you just put it put any chunk of meat uh in your garbage bin and leave it there for two days three days and then go back take a whiff yep. and see what's on it you're gonna find this like maggots so maybe when you say that maybe it's kind of like it could it could haunt the individual oh yeah haunting i would say haunting for sure okay great and then we've got crust and sugar over. So do we do we do we cover it up and we um we bury it and then you know give ourselves another label or another story to kind of hide um you know hide the the dream that's been basically uh, suppressed um or does it sag and and drag you down like a heavy load of of discontentment and resentment and I've seen yeah, that happen backbreaking yeah like literally uh, and I've seen that happen to a lot of people or like, like you mentioned, or does it explode? Does it, does it, does it out of pure frustration and anger, resentment, do people lash out uh, with aggression, hostility, and violence? And I think that's, that's, that's also a reality, right? If you, if you have a dream that, you know, you, you want to experience or uh, you you crave to 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 experience and and you can't because someone or something or a group of people uh, are suppressing you or telling you you can't or restricting you like you said in enslavement. Then how long is it before you before you start grabbing the bars on the on the cage and and, and shake them in fury, hoping to destroy um, your oppressors? Right. So oh yeah, so powerful, was- man. It's great. Yeah, so powerful. So I think that that connects in what you're saying, right? I really like that um, imagery you just lent us of the jumping up onto the bars of the cage and shaking, uh, you know, uncontrollably out of anger and, you know, resent and 
revenge and uh yeah i I that was great imagery and i think that's what he's trying to get us to do and that's what's so beautiful about this is it's so short in words that it forces you to think what do each of these lines mean right i mean most of this poem is like you said highly it's negative it's it's just it's gross it's it's just there's a lot of disgusting stuff going on in it but what do you make so i just want to really quick ask you about the uh i guess the fourth and fifth to last lines uh the the crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet does that to you kind of invoke any type of positivity i mean is it or is it just like sugar coating the situation yeah i think that's i think that's when we have a dream and then we maybe we compromise our integrity and then we we kind of we we have this like silver lining or this um, golden cage or we have the, these benefits or whatever it might be and I think we 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 sort of say oh you know I can't be a writer you know because you know it's not a reliable job I'm gonna write like once a month and I'm gonna do my you know my real estate job and you know that's way better anyway because you know it provides my family a stability and I like it way more and it's you know it's 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 really like way better and I get to drive a BMW but really underneath. You're you're still striving to be a writer, and you you really want to be a writer, but you haven't got time and the energy and the effort and the and the space to be able to, to do that. So I think it's for me it's crust it's crusted over in something that appears to be sugary and appears to be sweet, um, but underneath I think it's still festering, and I think um, I think that it's still hurting you because you haven't been able to either to cleanse it or experience it and uh and to live that experience yeah absolutely yeah and you know there's something that could be said about the actual like i guess the the what i'm losing words right now but uh the imagery he's talking about right like uh sugar even back in the 50s early 50s has been known to have negative properties as well, right? It's something that everybody likes and enjoys. It's actually addictive, right? It's the original drug, right? It's sugar. And so it's a very addictive, a very uh, desirable thing. But we all know that it's not healthy. That's why parents tell you, do not eat too much candy, brush your teeth. You know, we know about all the health issues dealing with sugar. So I'm not saying that's what Langston Hughes was talking about. But to me, yeah, it's him like, and what you said, uh, just giving in, right? Like you have a dream and you just say, well, I can't do it. I got a family. I've got a job. My job pays my bills. I got to take care of this, right? My life is beautiful the way it is. And so it's sugarcoating uh, the actual horror of never meeting our dream, right? Or never like actually realizing our dreams. But that's us, right? Like we do that. For, why do we do that? Why would we lie to ourselves to pretend like, oh, okay, I give in. I'm not, not going to uh, keep striving for, for my dream. I can't do it. There's no way. There's bars between me and my dream. Uh, so I'm just going to accept that. So why do people do that? Why do we accept? Why do we sugarcoat things? Yeah, because I think it's a defense mechanism. Because if you tell yourself the truth and you know you really dig deep, then it just hurts too much. Right. And that's not your fault. Like, I think we all have that. Um, we all have to cope with some of these things that really hurt us. 
And, you know, if I remember for a long time that when I wanted to become a teacher, it took me years and years and years before I was able to do it. Well, it was like six years before I, you know, it took me two years of, of waiting to get enrolled in university. It took me, me five years of actual university and it took another year to get a job, right? So I think it's just a defense mechanism that we we implement because if we, you know, we tell ourselves a story and a narration because if we really dig deep and, you know, and and face that that demon, it just hurts too much, and we don't want to deal with that. Yeah, I love that, man. And that's what I was kind of hoping you'd say is as a defense mechanism, right? Like, yeah. there, we're in this situation, and there's two possibilities, right? Uh, like, in a sense, there's two possibilities. Uh, we either wither away in decay and rot, and then possibly you know, back broken, we, we, we just explode. We, we, we just become rageful, you know, we lose our minds and we become enraged. And then, you know, what that leads to that often leads to hurt, hurting others, violence, um, destruction. Um, you can see that with the riots and stuff, like also in the United States over the last few years, a lot of destruction, you know, a lot of people feel like they're not being heard. And, and though the right, maneuver from that position is not to destroy innocent people's property or hurt innocent people that oftentimes is the result of delaying people's needs right um and i just find that interesting so yeah the poem there's like you know there's all this negativity or we can go to the other option which is the defense mechanism which is to just sugarcoat and kind of lie to ourselves um, or ignore it and uh, um, try to look for this, the, the, I guess, the, the, the good things within our confinements. Um, but, but then the poem goes right back into the negative, like, well, actually, possibly it's too heavy. It's too heavy. Yeah, maybe we can cover it up with sugar for a while. But will that heal the wounds? Probably not. And yeah, then he goes maybe, back. In. What do you think of this? It can it can explode in an outward expression of you know hostility, anger, rage, violence, but can it also manifest manifest in the sense of a self um, destruction and you know this this self destruction, this intention to harm the self through because you can't you can't always harm society, but you can definitely you can definitely take out the anger on yourself. Yeah. I, I, yes. And I was thinking that a little bit earlier. Uh, and yes, it could be basically self-destruction, right? Um, it can be an individual or individuals um, undergoing this and they're, you know, they're in the pain, right? They're, they're, they're dried out, you know, they're, they're sore, they're in pain, they're rotting. Uh, and then they lie to themselves but it's too much. The load is still too heavy, even with the sugaring over. And then, yes, explode. It could be mentally. Maybe you lose your mind. Maybe you self-harm. Maybe you inflict harm upon yourself, like cut yourself. Maybe you commit suicide. I think a lot of people throughout time, and I would hate to know the real number, right? I don't even want to think about that. But throughout time, people that have just thrown in the towel on life, they've just said, no, no. 
I can't do this. This, I, you know, I, my identity, my, what I want to be, I cannot be. What I want to do, I cannot do. What is the point of living? And then they just off themselves, you know? So, yeah, you know, I didn't want to get too dark there, but yes, absolutely. This is a very dark poem, actually, you know, it, it is. And, uh, um, but I think it's raising very important question about um, allowing people to, strive to to reach their goals no matter who they are as long as they're not hurting other people um but yeah yeah what do yeah. you think do you think do you think there is an element of individuality and possible self-harm or self-destruction in this yeah thing? and like you said i think you you said it really well and eloquently and you know, maybe self-medication is another way you know mental health deteriorating uh self-sabotage you know you've got a good job drug abuse yeah drug yeah. abuse or, or yeah, or self sabotage in the sense that you've got a good job, you've got a good family, wife, you know, everything looks great from the outside, but then you you know you you are constantly seeking some kind of um, escapism, right? And yeah. that could be through whatever you know, whether it's cheating on your partner or you know alcohol, drugs, whatever. And you're kind of self sabotaging because you're you you have this discontentness within you. Um, I think you said it eloquently, man. I think it can be, go as far as it, it can go. It, it's um, it's the human condition, man. We're complicated, uh, complex individuals, people. Um, yeah, and I think it can end badly. And it is, it is definitely is an ominous, uh, very dark poem. But I guess you know, I think there is nothing more important in the human spirit, in the sense of finding things that are meaningful for you, and then working towards those things. Right. And then and then as you as you work towards your dreams and your goals, you you encounter um, challenges, hurdles, obstacles, and then you you have to kind of expand yourself and grow to overcome them and you become something else. Like I think I read this quote once. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but like it says something like there was nothing there's nothing more sad to a, a man or a person than a man not having any adversary in 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 his life or her life to be able to um to either grow from or uh to to like either grow from or to expand from because there's nothing to kind of challenge yourself right there's nothing to uh there's there's nothing really to test your skills upon to find out what you're capable of you know to yeah. be able to say okay well um to really see what you can do and see how you react and, and give yourself the satisfaction of, of success and failure and experience that. If you have no, if you have no opposition adversity, you don't get to experience any of that. So you're, you're, if you take away your dream and you're also taking away your, um, your challenges, your obstacles, your adversity. And then I think you're taking away the opportunity for you to be, like you said, really eloquently to be able to become the person that you want to be. But but the journey of growing into that person, and that's the real yeah. sad bit, right? So, damn, <laughs> like it seems like a little thing. And so, oh, you know, your dreams. Everyone says, you know, now we're living in the world. Everyone says, go and chase your hopes and dreams, and you know, it's it's important to do what you want to do. But there's got to be something so in, innate within our human spirit and our and who we are that makes that so valuable to the individual. Absolutely, man. And I see the dream as a symbol, um, you know, and at, just like a symbol, like an algebra, A2 minus 4, A can equal anything, 
right? So that's the symbol is A. And in the poem, our symbol is the dream. And this comes from the American dream, the American promise, right? That everybody can reach something. But I don't think that it's all he's talking about. As teachers, think about you and me, um, our, our students, for example. Um, maybe it's not a dream, but it is a goal of theirs to maybe gain a new skill, right? But if uh, we've learned as teachers, especially through our education and practice, that we have to scaffold and we have to assist our students um, and we have to differentiate our instructions so that each individual student can overcome goals because it builds confidence, it builds self-efficacy, it makes them respect themselves. And then you move further and then they start to believe in them, the, themselves, right? And this is where self-love, self-respect, self-confidence, self-efficacy all comes in. If we take that away from them, like a bad teacher, I know a lot of them that don't strive to meet the child and give them those opportunities. Whoa, did you hear that? Massive thunder and lightning. Um, anyways, we haven't had rain for a long time, so this is actually really, really good. This might be, the, might be the day. Oh, no, I love it, man. I've been waiting for rain for a while. Yeah. But yeah, do the, you know, do you day. see... Do you see what I'm talking about? Look at it. We got the storm going, dude. This is perfect, man. We must be getting <laughs> at something. But you know, like, could you imagine the storm in your mind when you feel incapable, right? Like uh, from a student, something so simple as like in a specific subject in a classroom at a school, can that constant failure or, you know, uh, deferment of, you know, meeting that goal, affect their education long-term? Well, I think that's a great allegory for like society, right? Yeah. Is that if, if you're living in a society where the, the government or society or the ideology is not catering for the individual, right? If anything, they're just saying, you're stupid, you're hopeless, uh, you're an idiot, um, and they, they're not providing opportunities for you to flourish, not providing an environment so you can flourish, grow, and really experience any type of American, Canadian, whatever dream, insert country, then what's going to happen to that individual, right? You're going to have a lot of lost, lonely, broken, sad, um, really dissatisfied, resentful individuals. So, you know, do we have, does does our government, uh, does does society have a responsibility to, to, to create that, cater that, um, nurture that? I, I think so. I think definitely should be able to get, you know, that's the whole thing with the great American dream, right? It's not just the white picket fence and that and owning property. It's, it's, it's an access to opportunity. Um, it's access to being able to say, if you work hard, you can become successful, right? And yeah. because you have an abundance of opportunity. And then there's also stuff like a transcendence through class. It doesn't matter what, what class you are or what strata you are. If you know, if you're you're in the bottom of the stratum, you know you you can you can transcend into the into being a rich and, and being elite if because there's opportunities. So there's there's this multifaceted um, ideology or, or or concept of what is the great American dream, and it's extremely cruel to create a game that okay, we don't want the game to be equal and everybody has equal, you know, um, everybody has equality, but we want everyone to have um, you know equal e equality and opportunity right so i think that's that's really what 
society should create. And I think Langston Hughes picked up on that, where it's like, you know, was the was the government giving people adequate opportunity for them to flourish and for them to thrive and express themselves and have art, music, and buy property? And you know, not I read an article about this, man. They said that basically there was a red line and um the American government, I think in the I think it was in the 30s, uh, you know, in the 20s and 30s, they they base might have been longer. I've got to check that. But basically, they they made it impossible for black people to buy property in certain zones. It was illegal for them, and they were pushed in certain sectors. So um, they didn't want them to live. They didn't want them to live in certain areas, and those areas were able to be white areas, and those areas were worth more money, and they had more credibility. Um, so of course, yeah, you know, it's 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 really like. It, should your should the government nurture the individual? Well, I think they should. They should. They should. Yeah, I think they should. Yeah. You know, I think they should. And I think when you say society, what what exactly? Like, let's. I just want to clear it up a little bit. When you say society, are you talking about your community and neighbors? Or are you talking about government? Or both. both. But both, and I and I think it comes from the example should come from the government, right? In the sense of well, let's. Let me just say this, what they shouldn't do. They shouldn't make it harder or oppress or create laws to stop you from being competitive or successful, right? So the government should be able to create a platform. And I think we should live in a society where your neighbor and your people that you, you, you know, society teaches schools, community, and the general ideology, the zeitgeist is that we want everyone to succeed and we want people to do well and we want to support everybody, so, you know, in our community so that we can we can grow together, right? We want to, it's like, imagine being a teacher at a school and saying, oh, we only want the white kids to do good at school and then them to go to university and the black kids, they can be all laborers, right? That's not yeah. what you want for your community. You know, you want your whole community and country and city and town to grow. And, you know, we know that if you have a strong community and culture and government, your country becomes much more competitive on the global scale. But you know, if you have separation within one country, we're just sort of kind of handicapping ourselves. So, yeah, I think it's both, man. I think it's the ideology. And I just, I think it comes from that kind of um, mutual respect and and tolerance and, well, not tolerance, but mutual respect and 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 the, the drive and to, a, to want people to be genuinely successful and have opportunities. Well, absolutely. It's like a high form of empathy, right? Like how can, how can, we truly be happy in our society when there's so much suffering and injustice, right? Um, like I know for me, when I see any form of like what I consider uh, injustice, it, it's harrowing. It's sad to, to me, you know, and having those negative thoughts, like experiencing that um, personally makes me upset with society structures and uh, the fact that no one really seems to care but these are my thoughts right i'm not saying this is the fact this is my personal experience but what does that do it changes my alters my state of mind into one of negativity which is bad for me and bad for everyone around me right it doesn't benefit anyone even if i'm not affecting other people it's affecting me and like i'm losing hope when i see these things you know um so <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, man. I, this is, goes back to that old, you know, belief that we are one, right? We are one body of energy. And when one of us 
or a group of us are affected anywhere, we're actually all affected, even if it's indirectly. Um, we are all affected by the suffering of one or a group or of many. I, I you know, we're one big energy ball. You know, <laughs> we're just we're individual little molecules bouncing around. So, um, yeah, you know, and. Yeah. And you can see this still happening today. You know, you're talking about the dream and like the American dream actually was a great thing. And if you read the constitution in the beginning, right, the um, declaration of independence is such a beautiful, beautiful document. I mean, I don't think there's a single person on the planet if they actually sat down and read it, wouldn't love this thing. It's so hopeful. And that, you know, it's the, the right that all, all of us are equal, right? All of us are equal, and all of us have a God-given right to pursue uh, life, liberty, and happiness, right? And that's the ultimate goal of life, is to be able to just be happy, go through, hopefully survive, have some food, some shelter, but ultimately be happy. What makes you happy? Well, that's up to you, okay? That's whatever makes you happy, you should be able to chase that dream of happiness, right? That particular thing. And so it's written into this beautiful document. But then you have Langston Hughes and many, many others, Martin Luther King. Um, uh, who was the uh, farmer? The Chavez? Chavez? Cesar Chavez? Which Chavez? Cesar? Which one? From, from I'm not Venezuela. No, 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 Which, <laughs> no, the, the uh, I think he was Mexican American and he did like the the farm rights. Darn it. I'm let me let me it. keep going and I'll, I'll yeah, so <laughs> yeah, he was um what, what do you do? So, like a social activist and as particularly for the immigrant laborers um in the west of the United States, West um California. And it's I believe it's something Chavez, and he was uh, like a civil rights movement for the farmers. Was that uh, uh, Cesar Chavez, American labor leader, rights activist, born yeah. in Arizona, 1927. His family yes. migrant farm work. Yep. Okay. Thank I was you, right. Chad. Cesar Chavez. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, ChatGPT is amazing. I use it every day. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's a, a, another scary, scary <laughs> thing. Because um, that sounds <laughs> like another conversation we need to have. But as far yeah, as like, sure information, yeah, so, yeah, that's that's it. That's Chavez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so these guys, right, they all knew that they see this great hope and people come to this country. Some people were brought here. Uh, sorry, I don't know. Why I'm saying here. I'm in Thailand right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was putting myself into character. Um, you know, I there's this story that is told all the time, you know, about the U.S., how great it is. They always tell themselves how great they are. Uh, because of our constitution and our, you know, the fact that we give everybody opportunity. But in reality, you have these groups of minorities, uh, minority groups who are saying, hey, what I see and experience day to day in front of me does not fit into this promise, right? There's a big conflict here. There's a one story being told, which is fascinating. It's wonderful. It's why people respected the United States. It's helped other people form constitutions um, because it is so wonderful and so hopeful and so empowering. But the reality is, is it's just a piece of paper. Nobody's actually, it's not the reality that in the 50s, African-Americans were experiencing. Um, 
or even today, like migrant workers, you know, are kind of like mistreated, you know, and they're not really given the opportunity to, to, to strive for a particular goal. Um, it's just, and this is the power of stories, right? It, we're convinced to believe that the U.S. Um, is this the greatest nation on the earth. I mean, if you read those documents, you would say to yourself, oh, yeah, this is where I want to live. This is the place. But then you get here and you realize it was just a sugar-coated promise, crusted over syrupy sweet, and actually the burden is is much heavier than we we imagined it would be. And now it's time to speak out, right? Uh, so, you know, yeah, um, it's unfortunate. You know, like I, I love those documents. They're, they're such wonderful things with so much promise. But you look today and every day before today of American history, and it's never, we've never achieved those goals ever. Well, I think back then, it, the great American dream, you know, I've read the Declaration of Independence a, a while ago. And I agree. I think it's a very powerful ideology and it's, it's, it is beautiful. I think the problem at this time was that the great American dream wasn't available for everybody, right? That mm -hmm. was the issue. So I think that this dream that whether the dream is symbolic for, um, for the great American dream or for the, the, the pursuit of the individual dream or our hopes, expectations, and our, uh, you know, our, our, our individual pursuits and goals, you know, sorry, if, if you have a dream, you know, and you know, you're, you're like black men went to fight in the war, right. And they come back and they're still being marginalized. Right. So it was a whole Muhammad Ali thing when he was, he was saying that, you know, why am I going to go fight in Vietnam when my oppressor is here in the United States and I don't have, I haven't got free rights here and I'm going to go fight for you guys. You guys are my enemy, not them. What have they ever done to me? Right. And yeah. I think that's why that that speech was really powerful. So I think that was the issue. But man, like it's not the thing with the United States. And I think that country takes a lot of flack because there were so many good things that, that were created and came out of it, but it, it wasn't perfect. And it's kind of like it's been a developing thing since its 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 birth, right? And then okay, there was there was things that like slavery was is a big deal. Uh, a blemish to that, I suppose. But you know, it's like it's it's all of that stuff has has resulted in where it is today, which is a pretty amazing society, right? It's a pretty amazing society. It's complicated. It's got flaws, but there's a lot of people with a lot of different ideologies. Um, but I think maybe it just it was just the the the, mm -hmm. the, the mixing pot of how it how it how it happened. So. Yeah, it's not perfect. It's it's kind of like this big experiment. But if you look at how many great things have come out of the states, if you look at um, like ideas, you know, whether it's and and community, culture, music, art, uh, academics, you know, inventions, right? Yeah, it's not perfect, but I think it just it was flawed. Maybe at, you know, maybe that's one way of looking at it. It was flawed, or it was it was um, somewhat you know, it was somewhat selective, um, but it wasn't perfect. You know, it wasn't perfect. So, but it, it, well, this it is, is the thing about like, I feel like it's like, that's, this ties right into this symbol of a dream, right? 
Humans are dreamers. And I think that the majority of us want, you know, equality, happiness, equal opportunity for everyone. But unfortunately, there are agents that do not want that, right? There are, and I'm not sure, I wouldn't say it's capitalism because it's not. You could look at communism and it's the same thing. It's these elite people at the top. It's almost like it's inevitable, right? Uh, that the lions win, right? The li- there are lions out there, no matter how hopeful, how dreamy and how loving we are. Um, we do live with lions and those lions feed on our weakness. And I don't know, like they just take over, right? And so I think that the ultimate goal of these documents is the hope, is the dream that we can create this utopic society, this perfect society. But, you know, the plans, um, even well-played laid plans of mice and men often go astray. Mm-hmm. I'm reading that right now and teaching. Uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mentioned that. You Did brought I? that up yesterday. So I thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah. And it's a great quote from the original poem. Uh, but I think it, that's spot on. Um, let me think, you know, what are we saying here that, um, you know, that there is, there's forces of corruption, there's human nature, there's the system isn't always, the system's never perfect. You know, there is, um, like you said, there's always uh, agglomerations of power. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's not the system's always going to be flawed at some level. I definitely agree with that. I, I think what, I don't know, from the individual's point of view, it's kind of like you mentioned hope. And I think hope is a really powerful thing. You know, hope is kind of like if you have hope and you have faith and you have um, expectations and you just, you, 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 you will suffer, you know, and we all do this to try to reach some of those dreams and to reach some of that pr- projected future reality that's in our heads. And, I think that hope is something that keeps the great American dream alive. It keeps our dreams, our very dreams alive. And I think it's, it's hope is a beautiful emotion. And I think while we have hope and while we have the, the power and the, the opportunity to chase those individual gene dreams, I think we should, because like you said, the system isn't perfect. And there are, there are lines. That's a great metaphor for, for people in power that takes the lion's share, uh, you know, there, as long as there is a space within society for you to just get a little bit of what you want, right? I don't know if you can ask for more than that. Where we are as a as a as a world as a as a species right now, um, you know, and that and I think that changes based on you know changes based on what the consciousness is and what um, our society is like and what our values are, and over time things change, right? And that's the whole point of art and literature and and music. And philosophy is to kind of, you know, is to make people aware of how, you know, even comedians are good at this is making society better so that we all have that can be granted that hope to, to, to chase the things that are important to us. Um, because how many people that, how many people do you know? And like, do you think that have a dream deferred? How many people that you know that, you know, have you asked and said, Hey man, or Hey young lady, what do you really want to do? Or old lady, what do you really want to do? Or what did you want to do with your life? And they're like, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. And they're like 50. 
You know, like a part of me dies every time I hear that from someone. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we've learned to, you're, you're just, um, you have the capacity to be uh, sensitive and sympathetic towards others. And that's why you're having those, those feelings. And I think I have them as well. Actually, I know I do. Um, but I think a lot of us just tend to turn the blind eye and sugar, like sugarcoat it, right? Like, oh, that's just the way it is. You know, that's how it is for some of us, right? And uh, okay, to each their own. But yeah, you know, um, yeah, it is heartbreaking, you know, and um, it's just those people have accepted their confinement and they just have given up, right? Like, or at least that's the way I feel. Like, maybe not completely, but temporarily they've they've deferred their own dreams and they don't want to even talk about it, right? Because it's it's too painful to, to dig up those hopes and goals and dreams that you find are out of reach, uh, and I think that people tend to shut down, right? They just shut down and isolate. And I don't mean from society always. I mean, they isolate from their own dream. They put up walls around their own dream and pretend like it doesn't exist because of the, the defense mechanism, right? It's the defense mechanism to, to, to accept rather than to struggle. Um, I don't know. Does that sound kind of like, did I answer you? Like, did I answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you sort of it's like we're asking i guess to, have you met people like that and, and why are they doing it and you know is it sad i i think yeah and you're sort of saying you know it's it's just a, a natural reaction or response in the in the way of people dealing with some kind of um restriction and 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 moving and moving into acceptance without um without really striving for that for something that's personal or, or that p personal dream or goal or having that ambition for the individual yeah, I well, think we don't it, want that in a society, right? Because like, I I feel like as social animals and, and as part of this one great energy force, the more people that are willing to compromise and defer and accept the deferment of their own goals and dreams, or maybe that they're impossible, I think the, the more likely that others also fall into that same suit. They also say, well, yes, this is life. We can't always have what we want. That's just the way things are, right? And so I think that if you have one person giving up, it will spread, right? Other people will give up. And that's when it becomes a social issue, like Langston Hughes is talking about, right? Um, you know, it's we, we are not just individual, we are collective and we are, we are in this together. And what's happening to any of us is actually happening to all of us. And uh, so... Yeah, that's why I think it's so heartbreaking to see those people that have given up. You know, you can see the the grayness in their eyes. The the there's no it, I don't want to say lifeless, but you can see that the glow of their eye is dim and low lit. It's not where it should be. And that is the inner sadness that comes with not being able to really fulfill your 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 reach self-fulfillment basically. Yeah, I think that's that's spot on. It's like the that's the heavy load people are carrying, right? And maybe, like you said, it becomes a social normality. Like the conformity becomes almost contagious, where people are just like, "Well, of course, you know, everybody does that, so why should I question it?" And um, and then questioning it is kind of like you're you're disrupting the conformity when you become an outsider. So then you become critiqued or criticized or, or, or persecuted. Uh, but maybe it's a it's a fact of 
maybe it's in that there's an element of do, do individuals uh, are, are individuals encouraged to be able to to really look within and think about think about what their dreams really are and and making sure that those the, those self expressions are realistic within a within a capitalist society where you know we need money and we need to contribute and we need to uh, somehow maneuver through that complex nebulous web of of economics right but yeah. if you've never had that question if you've never really asked yourself that question then how the hell do you know how do you hell to how do you how the hell do you strive for anything that you really want where you do what you've either been told to do or you you think you should do so maybe it's it's the it's maybe there's a a partial blame there um based on our social consciousness or our current ideologies or zeitgeist i'm not sure but you know was that a question that you know did you ever hear that question when you were a kid you know what what do you want to do when you grow up you know what's your hopes and dreams and you know everyone can reach their dreams did you, did you hear that or did you hear more of the the philosophy of listen everybody needs to work and contribute contribute right everybody needs a job and sometimes you need to do a job you don't like because it's money you know, that's a good question. And I think that there were individuals, uh, probably teachers or other people's parents uh, that maybe brushed over this concept with me. But I think that in my immediate circle and in generals, no, you, you just got to work. You have to make ends meet. Uh, you got to carry your weight and try to survive. <laughs> and as, as dark as that sounds, that's more of the message I got. Like my parents weren't romantics. They weren't, uh, you know, they were, you know, Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, but you have to understand it's actually its own country, right? It's, I consider my mom an immigrant, right? My mom's a first generation American, but she's not because she's a Puerto Rican and they have a U.S. passport, but dude, they're not protected by the U.S., the, the only involvement the U.S. has with them is when they make money off of Puerto Rico in any way, shape, or form. Otherwise, we're, they're not there to take care of Puerto Ricans. So Puerto Ricans are not U.S. Americans, even though, like I said, they can go to the U.S., but once they get there, they are not welcomed. Like, uh, no, they are migrants is what they're considered, right? Um, and so my mom was that way. My father was that way. And I think that they had no concept. Uh, maybe they had a concept of the dream, but it wasn't like, that's what you should strive for is your own dreams and make whatever you want of your life. No, I was never really told that except for, I think I got most of that, that ideology from reading, right? <laughs> it came from reading from stories. That's where I got all that stories primarily. Um, but so what do we do, right? Like, what are we to do when when this these dreams, this deferring of dreams goes unchecked and there's ultimately mass suffering um, and inequality and injustice, you know, in the world? What do we do? And if you look at Langston po uh, Hughes's poem, right, um, um, the very last line is in italics, right? So it's meant to stand out. Um, the italics originally were the script of the people. Okay. So the italics came from old, like uh, it, it was from it Italy, Italy, and it was meant for the common folk. Okay. Um, so this is, I mean, now it's different, right? But in the beginning, it was supposed to mimic the handwriting of common folk, not the beautiful, eloquent, 
you know, um, calligraphy that we see. No, it was very common, like quick slanted writing. Um, but anyways, the last line stands out and it's, or shall, do we explode or does it explode? Right. And I think he's drawing attention to that. And if you think of like, Back to the dream, if, if we're using a U.S. context, back to the dream is that we've all been made this promise by our forefathers, the Declaration of Independence and the um, Constitution, that we have these rights that are inalienable and accessible to all humans because that's God's will. However, we know that's not true. And so we have the Second Amendment, right, <laughs> of the Constitution, which is the right to bear arms. And I'm just going to really quick um, read you this. It's not long. It's a very, it's a summer a paraphrase, but uh, the Declaration of Independence say that the, the people have a right to overthrow the government when the government is not fulfilling their needs or not representing or looking out for them or upholding the constitution so you have this conflict in the u.s about right to bear arms right because there's these shootings but you know what happens if you take guns away in our constitution they say when the government fails the people it is the right of the people to pick up arms and overthrow that government now it's really dark and i'm not advocating any type of uh, what do you call that rebellion or uh, overthrowing, so to speak? I am not, but advocating for that. But Langston Hughes says in the end, or does it explode? And again, the constitution is about the dream of all Americans. And in the second amendment, you know, this is number two on the list. So it's, very, it's up there. It's very important. If it's number two, it's that right to, if your government is oppressing you, whether you're African-American, Latino, transgender, gay, whatever. If your government is oppressing you, it is the responsibility of the people, the society, to reshape their government, to fit the needs of all. Anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there. I found that very interesting because there's two ways I look at this poem. And one is on a very personal level. And the other one is on, well my personal experience of being an American citizen growing up in the U.S., living in multiple states around the U.S., on the East Coast, West Coast. You know, I've been, Alaska, I've been all over and I have seen injustice and I have seen sadness, but I also have seen a lot of good. Um, but Langston Hughes, you know, and then I, yeah, I see it, him writing about this, talking to the people, you know, it could be a, a, a call to bear arms, a call to rise up, to, to take what was promised, you know, by the forefathers. But anyways, this uh, excellent poem, man. I love yeah. poetry. Man. I would think we should do this more often because it just really gets people thinking in the discussions. Poetry, I feel like, should be discussed, right? Um, because we share ideas and we expand our knowledge. Yeah, and look how you connected it to the, the beginning of, of the ideology of the country, to a, a social situation that happened like a couple hundred years afterwards. And this, you know, the idea of, like you said, freedom, independence, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And then the word for me that's, you know, that really the salient um, idea is this unaccessibility. It's un unattainable, unaccessible, right? And so it's it's kind of like, is it ironic? Is it um, is it just in, innately cruel? Uh, is it discriminatory? Is it 
just unfortunately um bad social policies is it inherent racism maybe it's a little bit of all those different things but you know it's 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 kind of cruel to have the declaration of independence saying that this is how society should be and then say but if you are of this color or you know this skin color or of this ideology then you don't get to have a part of it right so i think that's a i think that's a great that's a very strong link there in the sense of maybe um one of the one of the reasons for that resentment having this beautiful great american dream and man remember the the 1920s the roaring 20s a time of abundance you know technological inventions either stock markets property cars you know so many people making money and people in the united states and even in the i think in the 60s and 70s like they were shopkeepers and they could one man could be a shopkeeper and buy a house you know and support a family you know, and and not be in debt for a hundred years, like that's amazing. And I'm sure it didn't happen everywhere, but there there was the you know the United States and even Australia. I think in that time, the the 60s, you know, up until maybe the the 90s, especially, um, were like they really were places of a land opportunity, milk and honey, and and everybody wanted to go there, right? Because of that reason. Yeah. So you know, excluding people that's super super cruel. Cruel, not cool, cruel, C-R-U-E-L. Yeah, so I think that was a great point. And um, yeah, man, poetry is great. And when I when I do poetry with kids, like if we would have done this poetry, this poem, we would have talked about um, Cesura, the Adafora, uh, enjambment, the, you know, the, the alliterations a little bit more. But all that stuff doesn't matter. You know, like all that stuff doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if there's a dash and things are slowed down. You know, I think it matters. I think the spe- the the tone of the poem matters because that changes how we look at it, the speaker's attitude. But I think that the message, the didactic message, the theme, you know, what are we actually talking about? You know, what does this make us think about? You know, what are the universal truths or the ideas, ideologies that challenge us? And that stuff's way more important. So understanding this poem and just, you know, how it connects, you know, like it's still relevant and valuable in the modern day that's an awesome thing. So I think that's what what I try to teach my students in the sense of poetry, right? Is why it's cool. And um, yeah, I think it's great. We should definitely do poetry more often. There's a lot to unpack in a in a poem that's like, what is it? Eight lines? Let me check. Yeah, it's not it's not long at all. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten lines, man. Ten lines. Ten lines. Ten impactful lines. Yep. That's interesting. The Ten Amendments, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just it's you gotta look at all the things, right? Everything. What's going on? We don't really know. So maybe on a final note or something, what kind of advice, like being teachers, what and, and knowing that this reality actually does exist, that there's like this multi-tiered system, you know, there's these stories um that give us hope. And uh, they excite us, they give us hope, and they cause us to dream for the better for ourselves. But oftentimes that does not happen. That is not really the reality that we're living in for the majority of people. Um, But I, I feel like maybe it could be, right? I think that's where the hope comes in is I don't think we should ever give up. 
no matter how oppressive our situation may be, I don't think we should give up. So what advice would you give to maybe someone that feels that they can't achieve uh, anything really, uh, whether it be uh, fluid English speaking or <laughs> just because we're teachers or getting the job of their dreams or building the life of their dreams or striving for what's best for them, right? For constant growth, continual growth. Um, what advice can we give to people um, that may be in this situation? Yeah, man, that's a great question. And I think I, I wish someone uh, gave me that advice when I was like 18. But I think, you know, I'll keep it simple, man. Really simple is that you, you got to fight for your dreams. I think you got to fight for them and know that, you know, that it's going to be difficult and, and it might not be all the time, but it probably will be. And I think you, you know, no one, society is kind of geared in a way where it doesn't really encourage you to kind of go off and do different things and, and, and be uh, unorthodox. Right. So I think um, you got to fight for your dreams. You know, that the system's not going to be working in your favor, but you got to kind of understand and respect the system and then work within that to try to maneuver yourself so that you can achieve what you want to achieve. Um, and then I think you got to really be aware that it's, it's, it's kind of a lonely road in lots of ways because when you don't conform, you become a black sheep and people don't understand um, what why you're doing what you're doing. The other thing is really important as well, man. I think you got to ask yourself the right questions, which is like, who am I? How do I want to contribute in this world? You know, what's important to me? What, you know, what sort of person do I want to be? How do I want to express myself in this world? And what am I, what are my flares, my natural talents? And what do I like doing? And, and how do I want to express myself? And I think that's the guide. You know, that's the basis before you can do all those other things. So I, you know, you got to spend some time developing that because if you're naturally good at stories or poetry or, or, you know, speaking or um, selling things. And if you find things that are congruent to your natural talents and abilities, then I think you're going to have a good life, right? Instead yeah. of forcing yourself to be something else. Um, I don't know, man. I think that's the things that I would tell. That's the things I kind of tell my students uh, in the sense of, you know, and unfortunately, don't trust your parents, <laughs> you, you know, because your parents, you know, God bless them. Your parents want to... um your parents want to see you take the 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 safest and the most stable route you possibly can. What do your parents want for you? They want safety. They want you to be well-fed. They want you to be safe. They want you to be secure. They want you to be financially independent. So if they could choose between you being an artist or a doctor, any day of the week, you will be a doctor, right? Because being an artist, an artist is risky. And it means that they might have to see they, their children suffer and no parent wants to do that. So I think that, you know, whatever your parents say, just be aware is that they have a bias and it's because they love you and they they kind of, they want you to be safe and they want you to be secure. So it's not their fault, right? But yeah. sometimes, you know, like sometimes the safest journey, you know, it's the safest thing isn't the best thing. Like it's like that old, you know, um, adage is that, you know, a ship is best and is the ship, a ship is safest when it's docked at shore, Right when it's docked in the in the port in the harbor but that's not what a ship is for you know a ship is designed to go out and and weather the storms right that's what makes a ship a beautiful thing so yeah man what else i guess anything we could add to that what do you think <laughs> no, i just thought it was interesting i'm glad you touched about the parents because i did want to say it's not only a societal thing however it is mm. um you know uh 
I think that even people, even, you know, the parents of Langston Hughes and other poets and other civil rights activists were telling them, don't go down that road. Don't fight the government because, you know, it goes back to parents wanting what's best for you. Um, I don't want to contradict you, but I'm, I'm hoping that children do trust their parents um, and that the parents are worthy of trust because they're the only people that sacrifice their whole life and provide for you. I would say trust them, accept their ideas, and know that they mean well. They want the best for you. However, the only person that truly knows the best for you is you. And so there's going to be times in life where you mentioned loneliness. Yes, you, there might be a sense of loneliness, but you don't have to be lonely. You just have to kind of you know, hear them out, listen to them know that they want the best, but always trust your inner voice uh, um, most, right? And never give up on your dream. Um, you know, that's, I think that's so important because parents often do that, right? I, I know a lot of students or adults that, um, you know, that say their parents, they have to be a lawyer or a doctor and that's it. There's, there's no other options. There's no other options. And this causes resentment, right, towards parents and saying, don't trust our parents. They're, 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 they don't know what's right for you. Yes, we know that. Of course, they don't know. They want what's best for you, but they don't know exactly what is best for you. So strive for that dream. Don't defer it. Sometimes you might have to be busy as hell. Maybe you have to take two roads. Take two roads, but never give up on that your no, your true inner road, which is your dream, your goals, your hopes, your identity, and et cetera. So that's basically, I guess, all I'd say is never give up, but also don't hate those that 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 tell you the other story that no, that dreams aren't possible. Uh, it's a lie. You're going to hear that in your life. You're going to hear that a lot from society, from family, from even friends. Trust me, my friends, you know, um, but just never give up, never give up. Yeah, I think that's some great points there. And I think that was a good addition on what I said in the sense of, you know, you should definitely trust that your parents are always going to love you. You should definitely trust that your parents want the best for you and that they're not stupid, right? But I think you have to understand that they are going to be biased in the sense what they want for you, I think, is going to be safety and security. And I think that's the role of every parent is to protect their children and make sure that they're safe and secure and independent. So I, I think there's really integrity in that. So yeah, I think it's worth saying that it is, you know, to to maybe um, expand a little bit and give parents that respect. There, there is um, real value in that as parents, you know, that's that's obviously why. Um, I think the isolation, you're, you're right. And maybe it's a great way to look at it in the sense of, you know, be aware that people will uh, criticize you or, or maybe not agree with you. And that's OK. Um, it might be lonely. I think it could be lonely in the sense that a lot of people might not understand how you might prioritize one thing and and not prioritize or another thing. And usually that one thing might be money because a lot of people tend to prioritize money because money is such an important tool in society. So I think that's yeah. normal as well. But, you know, if you can, you know, not everyone, it doesn't really matter, I suppose, if people agree with you or, or not. I think it just, as long as and it doesn't matter if you're a little bit, you know, you know, you don't need validation from people. I think if you're finding your your purpose and you're working towards it and you're moving towards your goals and uh, you're you know following your dreams, then I think that will give you a sense of certainty and uh, integrity, and you can just keep pushing forward and respect everybody and go and crush 
go and crush your um, your goals and be happy. Yeah, absolutely. And remember, if you're not upsetting uh, people along the way, you're probably not doing anything new, exciting, or inventive. You're probably just, you know, if everybody's like happy with what you're doing, you're probably doing what, well, the system wants you to do. Yeah, conformity. conformity. Yeah. All right, John, should we wrap this up? Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Langston Hughes, Lit Charts, the Declaration of Independence and Constitution and Hopes and Dreams. Yeah, man, that's great. Um, we should and I want to shout out to Chat GPT. <laughs> oh, I forgot that one. I, I was gonna say that, yeah. And that's like every academic that's ever, you know, like written anything on, on the internet anyway. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll maybe we'll talk about Chat GPT next and let's hear your thoughts and we can debate about it. That'd be fun. Yeah, that would be a good one. Okay, bro. Yeah, man. Good to see you. I'll take take care. Take care of yourself. All right. Next time I see you, I hope the beard's twice as long. That's my objective in life. <laughs> Just that. All right, buddy. Thanks for the chat. Let's talk to you soon. My pleasure. As yours. <laughs>